Well, good morning, everyone. It is so wonderful to have you gathering with us. Uh, we hope that you are comfortable. We hope you have your coffee ready. We hope you have your Bible ready, and you are engaged uh, in and awake this morning, ready to worship the Lord as we gather once again virtually. Uh, my name is Pastor Ryan. I am the senior pastor here at Church of the Atonement. We're so thankful that we have this opportunity to gather on this Lord's Day and to remember what the Lord has done in our life and to respond by uh, praising Him, to respond in faith by offering prayers, knowing that He will answer them according to His sovereign purposes, and uh, to take confidence and encouragement from His Word as He speaks to us. Um, we uh, hope that you are receiving our emails uh, that kind of give the order of worship and let you know of the various ways you can connect to this uh, church in the midst of our staying-at-home time. And if you are not receiving those emails, which include the order of worship and uh, some other important bits of information, please let us know at info at and we can try to get you on that email list. We want to try to improve um, our contacts and make sure we know how to be in touch with you and keep you informed of all the latest that's happening in our church. We also would love to know if this is your first time with us and you're tuning in. Um, you can leave a comment on Facebook or you can send a message to that email address I just gave, info at atonementlife.org. We'd love to know uh, if you're joining us for the first time so we can welcome you and uh, connect you to our ministries and see if there's any ways that we can come alongside and encourage you as you learn more about uh, following Christ and being a part of the Church of the Atonement gatherings. Also, I want to mention this to everyone who's listening to this live stream, um, that this coming Tuesday our elders will be meeting. It's our regular meeting of session. We moved it back to this Tuesday to accommodate some business we want to handle. Um, and part of our meeting, whenever our elders get together every month, is to have what we call a season of prayer. So we set apart time in our gathering to pray. Pray for names uh, in our church. Pray for people who we know are struggling with things. Pray and rejoice for good news that is reported of how God has worked uh, maybe even difficult things out for something good or brought blessing into a family as families expand and bring little ones into this world. Just want to make sure my mic was on before I just kept going on. And so... Um, I, want, I mention all this because if there is uh, some way that you would like us to be praying for you, uh, uh, if there's some sort of report that we should have in a way that we can be thanking the Lord on your behalf or joining you in praying, we would love to know about it. Again, you can send an email to info at atonementlife.org, and if you uh, get in touch with us through that email address, we can incorporate that into the list of things that we pray for on Tuesday night. So try to act on that today or tomorrow. And and we will try to commit that to prayer uh, this week as our elders meet. Um, in the emails that we've been sending out, one of the things that uh, you should have received last week was an email from me uh, that was rather long. And in that email, we talked about, I talked about a lot of different things. One of the things I mentioned was something I mentioned last Sunday, which is that we have a reopening committee. There is a group of people in our church who are dedicated to thinking and processing all the information uh, that is coming our way about what it looks like to reopen in light of COVID-19 and all the precautions that are necessary there. And so I mentioned in the email uh, six people who are involved. We have the committee being led by Elder Tom Seibeck, and we have three other elders um, as, as well as myself. Those are Randall Spadoni, Rand Hunsinger, and Steve Karens. 
We then have uh, other people on the committee. We have Deanna Carafiat and Mary Moderman. And in my email, I actually neglected to mention a very important person. As our committee met, the seven of us, we kind of thought, you know, it would be great to have uh, a perspective of a young person in our, uh, in our gathering, you know, from our church. You know, we'd love to have the perspective and the influence and the energy uh, from someone who is a young member of our church. And so we took that quite literally, uh, and we have added Caitlin Young to this committee, and she is uh, someone we look forward to working with. We're happy to have her. Caitlin is actually here. You'll see her singing in a moment, um, just to put a face with a name. But Caitlin uh, is, is great. We're very excited that she's willing to serve and help our church as we kind of process and prepare what it looks like to reopen. We got some good news. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, most of Maryland gets to open up some retail spaces and, and worship facilities at a 50% capacity. And so it's exciting to see some sense of normalcy returning. And we look forward to when we can be a part of that. However, being a D.C. suburb and Montgomery County being an area of high concentration of infection, we're not opening yet. I just wanted to let you all know that as we reopen, we will be continuing this ministry of live streaming our services. It is our hope that this is a ministry that sustains so that we can uh, make good decisions about when we're sick, staying home, uh, when we're not able to come in after a surgery or whether we're traveling, we can still stay connected to the discipleship and the teaching ministry and worship and gathering with our Church of the Atonement family. Uh, we know that that's important in this season, but we think it'll be important as uh, ministry continues as well, which means if you have any interest in helping us support this ministry uh, with your time, talent, um, treasure, we would love to uh, encourage your investment in this. We would love to have volunteers to train to support this as well. So that's a, a lot of announcements on the front end, front end, more than I typically do, but just want you to be informed and want you to uh, know what's happening in our church as we see this uh, reopening phase uh, draw nearer in this time. With that, let me just ask you to join me in a word of prayer as we focus our hearts and minds to worship the Lord. Father, in all these things uh, that we come to do this morning, we need your help. There are many things to distract our, our minds. There are many stresses and anxieties that we wrestle with. There are many cares which uh, fill our to-do lists. And so, Lord, we want to set apart this time and ask for you to help us in sanctifying it and in, in making it a special time where our hearts and minds are set fully upon you and upon your grace. Our desire is to worship you. And so would you call us to worship? Would you speak to us and help us to quiet our hearts and minds right now so that we might worship you in spirit and in truth? Father, we ask for this help in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Good morning, good morning. We come this morning to worship. Church of the Atonement, people of King Jesus, called from every nation, tribe, and language. Today, today our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, gave us this day as a day of worship. Hear the call to worship the Lord our God. Shout for joy to God all the earth. 
Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with God's glory. Amen and amen. Come now, let us sing together, Everlasting God.
My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong in Take a moment now. We come before God Almighty to confess. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, you are pure and perfect, good and just, gracious and merciful, all-knowing and indeed all-powerful. Our Lord, you are always present. This morning, we confess we have broken your commands, your instructions, your law. Father, we have been demanding of you. We've foolishly told you 
how we think these days ought to look. We have indulged our pride and arrogance, self-pity. We have made idols out of ourselves, thinking that we are what is most important. We've fed selfishness and bitterness. We have not humbled ourselves under your mighty hand. This morning, this morning, triune God, forgive us. Forgive us for breaking your law and walking against your commandments. Forgive us. Pardon us, Father, for we are covenant breakers. This morning, we pray your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Savior and the only Savior of the world. Thank you. Thank you for providing deliverance. Deliverance to us who often wander away like wayward sheep. We confess, O oh God, that there is no other name under heaven, no other name whereby we must be saved. We thank you, Lord. In this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. God's word gives us assurance. God's word can be trusted that every sin, every, every commandment of God you've ever broken, in Jesus, God forgives them. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hears prayers, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you, God, atone for our transgressions. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Best news you could hear all day is that Christ is your righteousness. We thank God for this. We want to thank you also for your continuing to give and sow into the Lord's work. My grandmother used to say that her tithe was the Lord's money. So I brought the Lord's money this morning and I turned it in. But at this time, we'd love for you to take time to give online or to uh, fill out your, uh, your offering for the week and put that in the mail tomorrow. And now let's continue in our worship. See, cover me, hear my 
Thank you, worship team. We are now uh, at that time in our service for the children's message. And um, today, in our big people sermon, the big lesson that uh, I'm going to teach in a little bit, we're going to be learning about hope. Uh, once again, we're going to be thinking about what it means to hope as uh, Peter wrote this letter and was telling all the believers that he was writing to, that they needed to have hope. And hope is a word that we use a lot of times in our life. Sometimes you might hope for uh, a special present that you can look forward to opening, that, that one thing that you've been really hoping for and waiting for on Christmas morning. But you don't really know if that present's going to be there or not, hopefully. You didn't peek and try to open it before Christmas. Um, you know, we might say that we hope for one day having a puppy. If we've never had a pet before, we hope and long for the puppy. We want it in our, and uh, we think that maybe it would happen. But we don't really know how we'll find the puppy or how we'll pay for the puppy or who's going to take care of the puppy. And until that question gets answered, you'll never have a puppy. Let me tell you that. Um, 
And so something that I used to hope for a lot of time, whenever I was your age, is whenever fall would change into winter and it would start to get cold, you would begin to hear the weatherman on TV or on the radio say, there's a chance of snow coming. And the thing I would hope for was a snow day. I would hope that it would snow overnight and that the next day there would be no school. That's what I would hope for. Not because I didn't like school, but because I loved all the things you can do in the snow. You can build a fort in the snow. You can have a snowball fight in your fort. And then you can turn your fort into a ramp and go sledding and go whoo, way up into the air. And I love to go sledding. I had lots of fun sledding hills where I grew up. And so I can remember going to bed, hearing that there is a chance of snow. And I remember hoping that there would be no school in the morning, that there would be a snow day. And then I would wake up and I would run to the TV or turn on the radio and find out that there was still school, that there was even maybe just a two-hour delay, or maybe that the bus is going to be coming in 30 minutes and I need to get ready. I need to eat my breakfast so that I can get to school on time. And I remember just feeling so disappointed. I thought it was going to snow. I thought I was going to have a snow day, but I had no snow day. And I remember I hoped so hard. I had my heart set on it, but I was disappointed. I don't know if you have ever felt that way. And the thing that we're going to be learning about today in our big lesson, and something important for us to remember, is that that's not the type of hope that the Bible talks about. That whenever we hope in something that God promises, it's not a maybe, like a snow day, or like getting a puppy someday, or having that one present that we were really, really wanting to have on Christmas morning. Those things are maybes. They might happen. They might not. We might hope that they happen, and when they don't, we might be disappointed. We might have our hearts broken and be sad. But when God makes a promise, when he tells us to hope in something, it's not a maybe. It's a yes. It's for sure. That's the thing that we need to remember. Whenever God's Word tells us of good news and tells us something to have our hope in, it's not like hoping that there will be a snow day. We don't have to be afraid that our hearts are going to be disappointed, that the good thing's not actually going to happen. Because we know that when God makes a promise and tells us to hope in it, it is a yes. It is going to happen. And so we can live in the way God tells us to live, because it's guaranteed. We know it's going to happen. And that's important for all of us to learn. That's a lesson I pray that you will learn. So let me pray for you now. Father, help us to be brave and to trust more than what our eyes can see, more than what our minds can think that when you promise something and say it is going to happen, it's not like a snow day or it maybe is going to happen. When you give a promise, it's for sure. It's a yes. And so we can live hoping and expecting for that thing to take place. Help us to understand that we need your help to do that. So when we find it hard to hope, and to trust that we ask for your help. We ask for your help now as we turn to our scripture and try to learn about what it means to hope. 
even more. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we are going to continue our study of First Peter. Now, the past four weeks, we looked at the first 12 verses of Peter's letter to uh, the believers who at the time of his writing were living in the provinces of what make up part of modern-day Turkey. And the sermon series over the past four weeks was Hope in the Midst of Hardship. And we're going to continue our study in First Peter by looking at the series through a new lens, which is living in the midst of hardship. And so what we saw over these previous four weeks, we saw that Peter began his letter in a very intentional and pastoral way, that Peter loads the front end of his letter with good news. And so we see from, especially from verses 12 to, or 3 to verse 12, we see Peter lay out actually in a continuous sentence in Greek, uh, a reminder of the good news, literally reminding them of all the reasons to be able to trust in the guarantee of the hope that they have. To know that when God promises something, he's doing everything in his power to deliver on that promise. And so what we'll see today is that in Peter's letter, he shifts from reminding them of the hope they have in the midst of hardship to now focusing on how they, as God's elect exiles, ought to be living in the midst of hardships. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to eventually pick up our pacing a little bit more than just one or two verses at a time. But we're going to be looking at these particular instructions that Peter gives, because I think we'll find that they have a lot of, uh, a lot of powerful wisdom and a timely message for us in the seasons of life that we find ourselves, especially in the season of COVID-19. And so um, today, our verse not only serves as a transition point between the two parts of Peter's letter, but it also highlights an important fact for us, and it really ties into the title of this week's sermon. The title of this sermon is Having the Right Mindset. And something that Peter does in this transitioning verse, verse 13, is that uh, in order for believers to live the way God calls us to live, we must seek to have our hearts set on the right things and also have the right mindset. So let's begin um, by reading our verse this morning and trying to understand this more. Listen to God's word preserved for us in verse 13 of Peter's letter. Peter writes, Therefore, preparing your mind for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the first instruction that Peter gives to these believers in his letter. And what he, uh, what he is going to be doing what we will see in the coming weeks is that every other instruction that he gives them kind of flows out of this one. Every other uh, exhortation that Peter offers to these believers flows from this verse. And he tells them one simple command, one simple instruction. He tells them to set their hope fully on the grace that will be uh, the grace that will be delivered to them when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, as we learned in the children's sermon, hope in the Bible, especially with Peter, is not just living 
in, uh, with a, a, a future of maybe, but rather it's living with a future that says yes. It's knowing the guarantee of what's going to happen. Biblical hope is a sure confidence in God's promises and plans. And there's such confidence that is had by the believer in what God promises and plans that it, it informs and changes the way that you live here and now. The words that Peter uses here literally could be translated as hope perfectly or hope completely. It carries the idea that all of our hope should be set on this future grace. That these believers should have their hearts set upon receiving what is promised by God. And so what we'll see is that in the beginning of this verse, Peter uses language and appeals to all that he has already said to enforce the many reasons they have for hoping in God. By the way, this is a helpful thing for us to remember that when we're reading our Bibles and studying God's Word, we're taking note of some of the words that appear. It's very important when you see the word therefore that we should pay close attention. Because usually they're introducing a, a reason for why you should do something. So there's all this information that Peter has delivered to them, and now, therefore, live in this way. Do this thing. So when we see the word therefore, we should uh, look back to the wherefore. What is it relating to? Or to say it another way, a way that uh, one of my professors in college used to say it, he says, when you see a therefore, we need to look at what comes before it so that we know why, what the therefore is therefore, right? <laughs> So we know what the therefore is therefore. That's the way that you can remember the importance of that type of a word in our study of Scripture. So here we can see that Peter is introducing this instruction for the people to set their hope fully on the grace by appealing to the many reasons they have to fully and confidently hope. So let's revisit those reasons for our benefit this morning. Peter wrote to them saying, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being kept and guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Even though, for now, for a little while, if necessary, who decides whether these are necessary trials? God does. You are grieved by these trials. God is sovereign over them. So that, why are we experiencing these trials? Why are they necessary? So that they prove the genuineness of our faith and result in praise and glory and honor when? At the revelation of of Jesus Christ. The same phrase that Peter uses here in verse 13. And so the reason that Peter appeals to all of this is just to remind them that they can have confidence in their hope, that they don't have to worry about having their hearts disappointed or having their hearts broken. Because of who God is and how he's been working and how he's working even now, they can hope fully. It's reason to hope fully in the grace that will be given. But how do you do that? How can these believers have their hearts set and hope fully in the grace that Peter calls upon them to do? Uh, remember what they're experiencing. They're experiencing these various trials and, and great grief. These are circumstances which can be disorienting. 
to us. And so Peter says that in order for them to have their heart set in the right place, they need to have their mindset in the right place. And he uses two participial phrases, two participles that serve this main action of setting their hope upon the grace that is to be revealed. So these participles, these are phrases that describe how they modify the action or how they help the action come to be, how the action is supposed to take place in, in their lives. And so those two activities that are things that believers should be engaging in that will support them as they fully hope. And what we are going to see here is the, the great connection that exists between the mind and the heart, how the mind serves and supports the hope that believers are to exhibit. And the first part of the mindset that the believers are supposed to have is that they are to be thinking actively. The ESV says it in, our, in my Bible as preparing your minds for action. Preparing your minds for action. This is a very good paraphrase, but I think it's helpful to also know what the actual words are. In Greek, it's girding up the loins of your mind. That is a phrase we do not use on a regular basis uh, in day-to-day. Whenever we're trying to encourage one another and to be ready for action, and to, to have your mind engaged and ready to, uh, to handle what you need to handle, we don't usually say, hey, you better gird up the loins of your mind. But that's what Peter is saying here. Girding up your loins was a common phrase um, among God's people, and it was a phrase that meant to prepare oneself for action to be ready to, to go on the move. You might remember this is a phrase uh, that the Israelites received from the Lord in the instructions of the first Passover, that when they were supposed to uh, partake of this Passover, they were to have basically their loins girded up. What did that look like? It looked like this. I have this great diagram, how to gird up your loins. Um, and so here we can see kind of an example of biblical dress, right? They have this very long tunic. And if you've ever had a long robe, a choir robe or anything, tried to go up steps or get around uh, the house, sometimes you can trip and stumble and not be ready for action. And so literally there's a way to prepare and dress yourself so that you are more ready to take action and do the things that you need to do. Uh, and so that was the point in the Exodus passage. The people were to prepare themselves to exit Egypt. They were to prepare themselves to leave and head into the promised land, not to be stumbling over clothing and, and their layers. Jesus used a similar language in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, as he's talking to his disciples that they need to be ready like servants who are ready when the master returns from the wedding feast. Jesus says you need to be, stay dressed for action or keep your loins girded and your lamps burning. Uh, and, and so here, Peter is using a very similar uh, phrase, but he's not just telling them to have their tunics tied up. He is actually directing their minds uh, to be prepared for action. This is an action oriented to their thinking. Well, why is this important? Why is Peter emphasizing that they should have their minds prepared for action? Why should a believer's hoping require that their minds be ready? What Peter is highlighting here is this this important connection between the mind and the heart of how thinking often affects deeply our ability to express the feeling that we have. Hope is an emotion. Emotions are feelings that stir us and give way to 
uh, action or behaviors. Hopes uh, or emotions, rather, are exhibited or expressed through the ways that we behave and the ways that we act. So let me give a couple of examples of this. Love is not just an inward fondness or affection that we have, but love is always a feeling that eventually expresses itself in acts of love. It's this kind of feeling that drives a person to be willing to sacrifice greatly for the ones that they love, the ones they care about. Likewise, joy. Joy is not just an inward happiness, but it is expressed. Oftentimes, we see it expressed as people give shouts or praise, as people sing or dance, or just in the way that they laugh and enjoy uh, and exhibit their, their joy in life. Um, anger, likewise, is never just an inward kind of emotional burning or seething, but it always gives way to actions. We see anger take, uh, take its expression as people act out in scorn or wrath and retaliation. Even passive aggression, though a subtle action, it is an action. And so like all these emotions, hope is not just an inward positive feeling of a wish that lives inside us. But it's a feeling that comes when one's heart and expectations are set upon something. And hope is an emotion that will manifest itself in the ways that we live. There will be actions that exhibit our hope. And so the point Peter makes is that believers need to prepare their minds to act upon their hope. They need to mentally prepare themselves. The danger is that if we're not ready for action, we will not be expressing our hope in the way that we live. And therefore, we will not be bringing glory to God who has promised great things. We will not be focused on what he calls us to do and living as he calls us to, to be. I want to use the example of how it, it is very important for me to express love to my family Often after a long day of work, my family is very excited for me to return home. So when I'm out and about, uh, they, my boys are ready for some daddy time. And my wife, Lauren, she is ready for some mommy time. Uh, she's ready for me to, to come in and to love on the family. And so on my best days, I know that before I walk through the door, I need to prepare my mind to be ready for action. I need to get my head in the game. I need to be ready to step in and help with dinner. I need to be ready to have the first words that come off of my mouth be, honey, how can I help? Can I set the table? I know that I need to be ready to help with the kids. I know I need to be ready to help with the laundry or whatever needs done to let Lauren know how much I appreciate all that she's done for me, to let her know how much I love her. I need to be ready to act. Same way with my boys. I need to be ready to listen to Elliot as he talks in fragmented and run-on sentences about his day, and he wants to show me a hundred different things, even though I'm watching, saying, Dad, look. Dad, look at this. Watch this. And so there's a sense in which I need to prepare myself for action. I need to have my head in the game so that I can demonstrate my love, so that my love can find expression and be exhibited to my family. And on my bad days, when I'm not prepared, when I don't go through the door and I'm not thinking about what a gift it is that we're not promised tomorrow, but every day with my family is a special moment, when I'm not thinking about all that 
my wife has been through in caring for two active and energetic boys, when I'm not thinking about the ways my family needs me, when I'm not engaging my mind to be ready to act upon the emotions of love that I feel for them, frankly, those emotions of love feel distant. The love is not kindled. It's not excited. But when I prepare my mind, it gets excited. It gets built up. And so what Peter is saying here is don't be taken by surprise. Don't be found lazy in your thinking. Don't be passive. Be active. Be ready to express the hope in the way that you live. Be ready to act. Get your thinking in order. Don't let hope feel distant. Excite it. Think actively. He's telling them basically to remember all those reasons that they have to hope. Remember the indicatives, the way things are. Remember what God has done. Those verses 1 through 12, the grace that has been poured into your life and the grace that he promises. Remember those things so that you're ready to act on the imperatives, to live the way that you are called to live, ways that exhibit the hope that is in you. So he tells them to think actively. But he also tells them to think clearly. Peter writes, being sober-minded. They need to be thinking clearly. And he uses this phrase of being sober-minded. Now, the opposite of being sober, uh, some of us may know, is to be drunk. If you've ever been around a person who is drunk or on even powerful medications, you've probably witnessed unclear thinking. The way that the chemicals react in the body it causes people to have impaired judgment, impaired senses. Their, their sense of perspective is off. Their sense of balance is off. Their speech is slurred. And they often have trouble just having a clear perspective on the world that is around them. They're not aware of their surroundings. It's often a time when people get into trouble, when their thinking is impaired. People often say or do things that they regret. Their movements become uncoordinated. They stumble and they wobble. They become off balance and drowsy and sleepy. And simple tasks become complicated and seem to take great effort. If you've ever seen that happen. And so here Peter is not only talking about alcohol and the effect that it can have on your life, but he uses that as an illustration saying that when we are not sober-minded, when we are not thinking clearly, that it can have a similar effect upon us. That in the midst of their hardships, as these believers are going through their daily life as God's elect exiles, Peter is, is telling them they need to be clear thinking. They can't let certain emotions or certain circumstances begin to impair the way that they think. They can't begin to cloud up their perspective that they have on life in light of all that God is doing. Peter gives this exhortation, this, this uh, reminder to be sober-minded several times, actually, in his epistle. In chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Basically, he's saying that their prayers require clear thinking, that there should be no foolish or selfish praying, no praying that they should be participating in that does not have a, a clear perspective on what is happening in their life right now and who God is. No hopeless prayers, but they should have prayers that are, come from a sober mind. 
Later in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter once again tells them to be sober-minded because their adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion ready to devour. He's trying to warn them not to be um, distracted, not to have their minds wandering or, or their emotions getting the best of them because Satan is waiting. He's, he's waiting like a roaring lion. He is waiting to attack and to wreak havoc on these believers, to cause them to stumble. And so he tells them, you have to be clear thinking. You have to be vigilant. Be sober-minded. And so this is the first of the three times that Peter tells these believers to be sober-minded. And so the, Peter's point of hopeful, hopeful living, it requires clear thinking. There are many things in life that can distract and disorient these believers. There are many questions and anxieties and emotions that can impair our hope. I want to go back to that illustration I used about me coming home to my family. That there can be many emotions and distractions that affect my thinking. That even though I walk through the door and I'm fully present in the room, my ability to express my love can be deeply affected by how my thinking is crowded and clouded by these outside things and by these inside feelings. There's many things that can be happening in my day. There are many conversations that my heart, in its weakness, can revisit. And so I can walk through that door with a selfish uh, worldview. I can walk through that door thinking about all the nights that I've had to cook, all the nights I've had to just drop everything that I was carrying and be ready to step into action. I can come through the door thinking about uh, all the things that I had to handle in my day at work, about the phone call that I had that didn't go the way that I wanted, or thinking about the sermon that I need to preach coming on Sunday. And I can be physically present, but emotionally distant from my family if I'm not thinking clearly. It deeply affects the way that I live out my love, and the same is true for our hope. This is why Peter draws their attention to this, that if we are not sober-minded, if these believers are not thinking clearly, if they're not trying to, to uh, monitor the influences upon their emotions, they'll find it difficult. They'll find that their ability to express their hope and to live it out is going to be impaired. They're going to be disoriented. So the believers reading Peter's letter they likely have 100 reasons to be desperate for some hope. Living as God's people has certainly brought new and difficult circumstances into their lives. Peter's instruction in the midst of the hardship that they face as God's chosen people, as his elect exiles, his instruction to them is that they should be living in a particular way, living with a hope set on the grace that is coming their way. That they are living is to be hope-filled. It's good, going to be confident in what God is doing. That they can set their hearts upon it. But if they're going to have their hearts set in that way, they need to have the right mindset. And so it raises the question for them, and it raises the question for us, do we have the right mindset? Are we doing what is necessary to protect our minds and to think clearly? Are we doing what is necessary in the seasons of hardship 
and the many ways that we can have our emotions rise up within us and be distracted and disoriented? Are we doing what's necessary to be ready to live out our hope? Our passage this morning shows us that it would be a good step to take, to take personal time with the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to show you any way that you are neglecting what must be done to have the right mindset. Are we doing what is necessary to be ready to express our hope? Are we exciting the feelings of hope by revisiting and thinking about all the good reasons that we have to set our hope, all the reasons we have for our hope to be firm and confident, to know that it's guaranteed, or are we letting our hope cool off? Are we allowing it to settle and to relax rather than to be built up? Likewise, are we protecting our thoughts? Are we filtering what we watch and how much we watch, what we listen to, what we participate in, so that our minds are are sober-minded? Are we allowing outside influences that are not God's truth, that are not stirring up hope? Are we allowing other things to stir up emotions of despair or anxiety or anger? What is the one thing that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us? Even just one thing, one way that we need to be aware that our minds need to come into service of our heart that our minds need to be protected. Secondly, this passage reminds us that we should have minds fully set on the gospel, the grace that we've received and the grace we will receive. There's an activity that we must continue to do. We need to be thinking actively and thinking clearly. So we can't be lazy. We need to keep returning to these reasons. And we also need to be selective. We need to make sure we're not becoming uh, impaired in our judgment or in our perspective by the emotions that we have. And the way that we do that is we continually return to what Peter front ends his letter with, the message of the gospel. We need to have gospel-informed thinking. We need to rehearse the gospel to ourselves. As we consider all the things that God has done and promised and consider how he still works even in the midst of hardships on our behalf to deliver upon his promises, it will excite our emotions. It will also help us to keep our thinking clear as we are so prone to weakness and thinking of God in such a small way when he's really so powerful and strong. This is an activity of rehearsing the gospel. It's an activity that we frequently would do in the time of communion, where we look to all of the promises that are made to us and sealed in the work of Christ. And typically, the tradition here at Church of the Atonement is to participate in communion uh, at, on a weekly basis, that after we receive from the Word of God, we would commune and feast upon the presence of Christ, remembering the sure hope that we have and all the work that's being done on our behalf to deliver that grace on the day he comes again. That is something special that the Lord has instituted for us that we do together when we're gathered as a family. And since we're not able to do that at this time, we are not participating in that sacrament. But that doesn't mean we cannot rehearse the gospel and we cannot meditate on the importance of these truths. It would be a good practice 
on this day that we set apart to rehearse and meditate on the truth that that sacrament points us toward. Peter's command to hope fully flows from having the right mindset. If the believers are going to fully set their heart on the grace that's coming their way, they need to have their mind fully set on all the work that God has done and what He has promised. And we are going to see in the coming weeks that this is a paradigm that repeats itself over and over again, that all of the ways that believers are supposed to live in the midst of hardship, the ways that He instructs them, all of them flow out of this, this paradigm of looking to what God has done, seeing what the ways that things are, seeing the indicative before we start living how he calls us to live, acting out our hope, following his imperatives. And so the gospel is the foundation, understanding that we don't receive God's grace in any way but as a gift. And knowing that all that he does is an act of his mercy and grace should give us great assurance and great confidence that he's going to deliver on his promises, just as he said he would. We need to be renewing our minds. We need to be thinking clearly. We need to be thinking actively so that we can fully set our hopes upon the grace that will be revealed when Christ returns. Let us pray. Father, it seems sadly like a, a very simple thing to do, but you know the complexity of our hearts. You know the weakness and the ways in which a simple tweet or Facebook post or headline, a simple action, um, even the weakness of the sinful desires, the corruption that remains in our own hearts, the ways that we do not uh, automatically want to live as you call us to live. You know how these things can impair our judgment. You know how these, these uh, ways exist that we are prone to be weak and lazy in our thinking. Too often, Lord, in this season, we as believers can fall into the same patterns of the world. We can have all sorts of other emotions giving rise to the way that we live. But you call us to live in ways that express our hope. And so, Lord, help us to set our hope fully upon you. Help us to renew our mind. We ask for your Spirit's help. Show us any ways in which we are not doing more to activate our sense of hope and prepare ourselves for action. Show us any ways in which we are not protecting our minds from the influences and emotions that can easily distract and disorient and impair our judgment. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Hear the words of Psalm 130, which we sung earlier this morning. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive in the, to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Let us pray. O Lord, we your people cry out to you. In your mercy, hear our pleas. Lord, we pray for those who are lonely and alone and those who suffer 
with depression and anxiety. In this time of isolation and uncertainty, loneliness and depression can become even more overwhelming and unbearable. Lord, we pray that you would hold up your loved ones, hold up our loved ones who suffer in these ways with your righteous right hand, as your word speaks to their hearts, saying, Fear not, for I am with you. Lord, we pray for those in our congregation and our families who are on the front lines of the fight against COVID-19. Lord, keep them safe and give them courage and strength as, as they minister and care for the sick and for their families. Lord, we pray for those who have been impacted financially by this pandemic, whether because they have lost their job or have had their hours cut back or have lost portions of their savings as a result of a bad economy. Lord, we pray that you give us all this day our daily bread. Sustain us all, but especially those, Lord, who may be worrying about next month's rent or this week's groceries. Lord, open our eyes to the needs of our brothers and sisters so that we might be used by you to meet their needs. Father, we pray for Timothy and Matthew, two young men who are brothers who have been diagnosed with COVID-19 or in the hospital. Lord, we pray that you would heal them and you would help them recover quickly. We pray for all of our church members with health challenges. Lord, we pray that they are able to receive the care they need and that you would heal them. We pray also for their comfort and peace in the midst of their trials. Lord, remind them of the hope we all have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for our missionaries, the Bennetts in Texas, the Bennecourts in France, Elizabeth Lynch in Russia, and Carrie Jacobs with 22 Too Many. We pray for their families, that you would keep them healthy and safe during this pandemic. And we pray for their ministries, that even as they face challenges brought on by restrictions, Lord, that you would use them in new ways to share the truth of your gospel with the lost. Lord, bless them in all they do and give them strength to continue in that which you have called them to. Father, we thank you that you do hear our prayers and that you are faithful to answer them according to your perfect and pleasing will. We praise you, Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Christ. Amen. It is 
Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let his blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. I glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It is Amen. The words of that song can be such a great help in rehearsing the gospel and understanding the great confidence and hope that we can look forward to. And we can pray along with the words of that song, Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight. And in the meantime, may the hope that we have, may it be built up by the way that we think and focus to that end. And may we live in ways that express our hope as we are living even now in the midst of hardship. As we live in that way, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and always until we meet again. Amen.